future danger. When we had arrived at the hut, in the dark, we had not stumbled across the old man's body, lying as it was by the stream some fifty paces away. Only in the weak grey light of morning did we find it, as we came to wash our faces and drink our fill of fresh water. Now the sight of that gruesome body brought us fully to our senses. Although it was hard to believe that the murderer could still be nearby, yet I feared it, and the skin on the back of my neck crawled as though touched. Cautiously, I retrieved my pistols from where they lay on a rock. Bess took hers from the belt of her breeches. Bess, I should say, was dressed in man's garb, as she most often was, and could fight as well as any I had met. When I had first encountered her, only a few weeks before, she was holding a pistol to my head, and only good fortune had saved me from death at her hands. Since then, she had shown her unwomanly strength on many occasions, and I had learnt that the word unwomanly had a different meaning from the one I had been brought up to know. Now, on the run from both the Redcoats and my father's militia, we both had need of courage and trust. But we had proven ourselves each to the other. I knew I could trust her, and I think she knew the same of me. I knew many things about her and her childhood. I knew what kindled the fire in her heart, the fury, the spirit. And she knew of my childhood too, my struggle against my birthright. We had no friends here, not now that we were two days' ride over the Scottish border. But we had each other. As long as we had each other, we had some kind of hope. We looked and listened, straining eyes and ears for signs of danger. A low mist draped nearby hillsides, but to the east there gleamed the promise of a brighter day. There the sky was a buttermilk yellow, pale and watery. Dark patches of forest splashed the distant hillsides. Closer to us, large boulders and gorse bushes could be hiding any manner of perils. As for sounds, at first we could hear only the trickling of the stream as it ran over pebbles, the slight rustling of grasses in the breeze, and then, further away, the mournful crying of seagulls. Nothing to fear. Averting our gaze from the body, we washed quickly and filled our water bottles. We began to move from that place, still wary. We walked quickly, making our way back up the slope to the hut. Bess's forehead was creased, twists of hair hung down bedraggled, dirt smudged her cheeks. Her man's shirt was splashed with water from the stream and open at the neck, where I could see, hanging on a chain, her grandmother's locket, which contained her father's ring. She looked tired, and I could sense perhaps a dulling of the fire in her eyes as though she were weighed down by something. I think I had noticed it several times over recent days, but I had thought little of it. There was too much of greater importance to occupy my thoughts. Many terrible things had we witnessed, many dangers had we met, and we must not let our guard drop now. We were in strange lands, with different customs and people, we must be careful indeed. Well, 
Agnes whispered suddenly, Listen! I stopped. I could hear nothing. Only the birds and the faintly splashing stream below us. She was pointing to a large rock set back from our path. Now she placed her finger on her lips. Our pistols were already drawn. Slowly, carefully, I used my thumb to release the catch. I was ready to fire. And then I heard it too. There was something behind the rock. Or someone. Chapter 2 I could not say what might be there, only that we had heard a small noise, a whimper, the sound an injured animal might make. Slowly crouching, I picked up a stone and threw it past the boulder. A quick rush.